0: Welcome to Unite and Win Podcast, episode four. In this episode, I sat down with my good friend, Mike Knight, and we talked subculture, body piercing, body jewelry, and fine jewelry, and everything in between, and um, his career and what got him from where he was piercing to now making grills for Alicia Keys. And uh, a lot of funny stories along the way. Without further ado, this is The Other Couture Interview. pizza party podcast with Wayne and Mike.
1: Hi! Mm. Mm. Oh, that's fucking good.
0: That is, wow, that's really good. Today's pizza is bought by me from Cruisers. They could have given it to me for free. Maybe next time. Gotta get more reviews on this podcast.
1: Oh, dude, that'd be great to get sponsored by Cruisers.
0: Mmm. Mm. That's the only sponsors I really want, man. I just want food sponsors. Dude. I gave a plug to like a plant power vegan fast food spot the other day. I'm mm-hmm. just hoping they see it. I've gotten hit up from like tattoo supply companies and shit.
1: That's fucking rad. Yeah, I
0: didn't care less. I want
1: food. True. Can't eat needles.
0: You know what I'm saying? Food is important. Mm. All right. So if you're just listening, <laughs> apologies. <laughs> if you're just watching, <laughs> I bet you're hungry. You know what, we'll eat a couple slices, we'll banish back and forth, and then we'll officially start in a minute or two. Because I'm hungry. Yeah, yeah. So, so how'd you get your start in Pearson? Let's let's go back to the deep, deep,
1: dark south. Uh, yeah, so I grew up in Albany, Georgia. Oh, yeah, got to talk into that thing. So I grew up in middle nowhere, Georgia. Albany is the name of the city. Uh, technically, I lived in Sylvester, which was right outside Albany, but sylvester is so small it doesn't even it's not even worth mentioning for the most part like everybody that did anything or went to school went to school in albany and i ended up falling into a group of kids that were like really into like piercing and tattoos and stuff and that turned into me piercing myself because i grew up kind of like farm country-ish so we had horses so we had livestock needles and when, livestock needles picture the dullest piercing needles ever what do you do with it for livestock uh giving them like vaccinations and stuff like oh, okay. that and why
0: would it be dull they are like Scandards. they
1: are definitely not as sharp as piercing needles especially as sharp as piercing needles are now and when i realized that i had that like that made these kids more likely to hang out with me too you pierce them? because I, I had access to needles because we didn't like we were doing it with like safety pins and shit party and i was like oh shit i have these like big ass hyperdermic needles they were like all 12 gauge too right. and like not polished and smooth and so we didn't, we didn't figure out how to get the hubs off of them, so we just like would pierce with the hubs and follow out in reverse and everything. Whoa. It was just disgusting. And then later turned into me like just hanging out in a sh- little hole-in-the-wall biker shop and learning to pierce a little bit.
0: What age was this when you first started with that
1: stuff? Uh, I was probably like 14. Yeah. I was like reading National Geographic and then just like jamming stuff like every kid did. We'd all pierce our hand webs, yeah. Why did everyone do that? I
0: think because it like doesn't seem painfully. Like yeah, bullshit.
1: and yeah. then you fucking ram a twelve gauge needle through there, and you're like feel it in your fucking soul. Crucified. Oh, Jeez, dude, we started doing all out. sorts of dumb <laughs> shit because then we started discovering, like, we came across like mod blog and Easy right. and shit like that. So then we were like, oh fuck, let's do this, let's do that. And, like, there was this one mod artist from Brazil. I think his name was like Urea or some shit. Mm. But he was always doing, like, the most outlandish shit, like, fucking, like, inch-tall dome Teflon implants, like, Ugh. piercing through people's arm bones, doing, like, intramuscular piercings and stuff. Gnarly. And, like, one of the kids that I hung out with, like, got real stoned, and he pierced directly through his hand uh-huh. and, like, wore a barbell, a piece of Tygon in it for, like, a month before he got, like, some oh, infection. I
0: have not heard Tygon else time you can cut that thing and yep. screw on external yep and they just it.
1: screw it on there and he fucking wore it for like a good solid like month and a half before he to, got like an infection that like almost killed
0: him i used to give those to like girls that are getting pregnant they didn't want to give oh, yeah, you just throw that in there so it's all stretchy yeah. stretchy yeah like here good luck
1: you know so like from there i had like the shittiest form of apprenticeship ever just like
0: and what age is this is this like 16 17 Oh, wow. So are you still in high school?
1: What are you doing? Um, I had already dropped out of school at that point. Because at that point in time, I was going to a Christian private school. So it, obviously, I didn't fare well in that uh-huh. environment. So I ended up getting kicked out of school and fucking hung on for a little bit. And then the second I turned 16, I dropped out. Uh-huh. And- and then got Don't my GED. do It's yeah. not rad. Yeah. But, I think it's rad. Yeah, I got my GD like a week later because I was like, oh, I went shit. there, I was like, this is dumb easy. Like, they're, cool. they're like, you have to do all these practice tests and stuff first before they'll let you take, take each section. Right. And then I just like did it in a week and I was like, cool, I'm done with this. And then started like hanging out in the music scene and shit. And started hanging out and like going shows and then just kinda became like a vagabond for a few years.
0: Where, where are your parents at and all this? Um, letting you run wild? Are they tripping?
1: Pretty much. Like my um I left home around that time too. Okay. So my grandparents raised me, um, on my dad's side. I never met my mom. Mm. And so it just turned into this thing from there. And then I eventually like spent time like hunting down, like trying to be with my mom and everything. And there was like bunch of like crazy scenarios with that but yeah it's life right and then from there like i just kind of left and just disappeared
0: <laughs> were you still in a small town
1: or? um i stayed in that town for a little bit and then i went up to like macon Warner robbins area mm. and then hung out there because i ended up there and started hanging out in the hardcore scene there and just like going to shows and shit. and i ended up like just crashing at some party house
0: so how'd you land the apprenticeship, especially that young?
1: Just hanging out. Damn. Yeah, just in like this shittiest biker Were shop. You getting tattooed there? Nah, I didn't get a tattoo. I didn't get tattooed actually till I was seventeen, like almost eighteen. Oh, wow. But the shop I was in, the guy wouldn't <laughs> tattoo me at all. He like taught me how to uh, scrub tubes because the only way a piercer could be useful in a tattoo shop was I had to learn to make needles and I had to learn to scrub tubes. And in the most unhygienic way possible. Sure. Oh, dude, it was great. It was, you got one gloved hand and one ungloved hand. Mm. One was dirty. One was clean. And this motherfucker, I shit you not, told me to blow air through the tattoo tube to ah! clear it after I fucking got done scrubbing it.
0: I have a gross story, too. So, so, the shop that I, not the, where I apprenticed for tattooing, not piercing, um, it was upstairs shop and there was no restroom in the shop. Yeah. And so you had to walk down the hallway, hang a left, hang a left, and there's a restroom. Yeah. And then in the restroom, there was, like, a janitor's closet. And the janitor's closet was, like, one of those big, like, um, plastic kind of square, like, mm-hmm. one foot by one. You know what I'm Yeah. Yeah. All those kind of, like, things. And it was just stained, all grody and nasty. And then there was, like, buckets of paint and ladders and at roof access. It was just kind of like a closet that had extra storage of just... It, it was spider webs. It was dimmed. One like light bulb, you know. Yeah. And um, so I would I would have the trays. Now I'd, I'd walk out, try not to spill anything <laughs> over, right? And I'd have an extra, uh, pair of gloves in my pocket. Yeah. And I'd have like the wire brushes and shit in there. I would walk in. I'd, I'd go ahead and try to. I'd actually walk over there and open the doors in advance, then run back, then grab the stuff, then close the doors with my elbows, then oh, lock myself God. in a little janitor closet. And then there's nowhere to set to clean the tubes. Yeah. So I would like. There was like a, I don't even know what I set them on. They might be a bucket or a box. But I'd lay out some like paper towels or something, and I'd go in and scrub them, and I'd get everything out of there, boom, boom, and I'd go and set them over on the on the clean, yeah, using air quotes if you're not if you're not watching, um, paper towels, and then I'd put them on like the tray, and yeah, and, th- and then it was just like I don't know, like dirty, clean, all the same thing, just getting the ink off those tubes so yeah. you can't see it, and that's all. And then I would go ahead, turn things off, throw away the gloves, wash my hands. Close everything up. Walk back into the shop. I'm touching several doors on the way out. the, way in the shop. And then we go to our <laughs> sterile, sterile... sterile. Air quotes again. Yeah. Sterilization area. And it was just the crock pot style fucking steam. Oh, yeah. God. Yeah.
1: There used to be a cookbook. And if anyone out there can find it, I used to have a copy of it. Um, it was a cookbook that some tattoo artist, I can't remember what his name was, made that was things that you could cook in that autoclave. Really? Yep. And it was all these like random like fucking it was basically just pressure cooker recipes but yeah, like yeah. written in a funny way Crazy. for cooking in one of those type of autoclaves and i fucking loved it i had cooked fucking i cooked salmon in one one time in the shop oh yeah oh! but in one we didn't use anymore yeah right yeah, theoretically you want on me? No. so fucking
0: so then i would get in the shop and then I'd, i would have to Re-clean them with alcohol and stuff like that, because obviously they're dirty still. And now I'm in well lit, so I can actually see all the spots I didn't get. <laughs> then I'd bag them, then I'd autoclave them, then they come out. Half the tubes from the pressure and the steam each <laughs> would come out. Yep. And I'd have to go and take those and do them again. <laughs> and so it was by no means a perfect process. Oh God, yeah. And uh, and that was that was for the first couple of years of my tattoo apprenticeship. And 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 actually pre-tattoo apprenticeship, I got in there as a piercer. I wanted to apprentice there and they'd pay me like 10 bucks to scrub the tubes. Yeah. And then like, you know, after three months or so, I got in as a tattooer, as a tattoo apprentice um, for an excuse to not get paid anything for yeah. the tubes. And then um, that's how we were doing it until we relocated and we actually had our own sterilization room and figured things out. But I mean, yeah, I, they, I, I didn't even learn anything about... Oh, I mean, I knew because I was my prior apprenticeship, but there was... It was basically yo just get the ink off these things yep pretty much them. None. and then
1: anytime when i was learning to do like make tattoo needles and shit yeah. the big rule was like everything i made he was going to inspect afterwards and if i put a needle together and put one on backwards i had to get tattooed with it just that's a dry kinda, line that's kinda cool. dude <laughs> you never think about like how sm- like with how small they are you'd assume they're still pretty sharp oh, even on the line. blunt end mm-hmm. dude you can fucking feel if a 13 mag has a backwards needle in it. Yeah. Like, I would feel it in my soul.
0: That's actually, like, a really cool way to learn. Yeah. I, like, I, I
1: only fucked that up, like, three times. Yeah, that's pretty cool. <laughs> I was like, yep, not doing that anymore. I'm really making sure that shit's all facing the right way.
0: So, was there any, like, effort to get you into tattooing? Or was, like... Nope. So, they are just like, you're going to pierce here? Or, like, did you know you wanted to be a piercer? Kinda. And were you already on the BME scene, like, oh, for yeah? And stuff at that time? I was, like... like
1: Fucking doing all sorts of dumb shit to just make content because, like back in that day, like oh, to I have know. your IAM yeah, account, you had to um, provide content for like I can't remember like how it was. It was like you for like each picture you posted or submitted, you'd get like had, a month or some shit like that. Yeah,
0: yeah, because no one paid for it. you. Just yeah, content, but you could also like I remember when I had mine, I would just like stretch your love section. Yeah. you know, you just like. Get your way in the different sections, and, stuff. and
1: the fucking I'd like brand myself, and be like branding. And then
0: the branding, there's so many subcategories oh, yeah. too, like chemical branding. Yeah, exactly.
1: Branding and then and like, fucking like freeze branding, and when they did oh, all yeah. that weird shit too, and. I eventually was just, like, kept just doing stuff to maintain having access to BME zine at an age that archive. I was, like, far too young to be looking at some of the shit on there, How probably.
0: access where you approved? Because um, there was, like, some stuff that you couldn't see unless you paid. Or yeah,
1: like, even though there was stuff that you couldn't see unless you paid, if you weasled your way around in the forums enough, you'd eventually see some, like, dudes with their cocks cut in half, right. so... Yeah. This started finding stuff like that. I'm like, what the fuck? And then I started like learning about like Jack Yount and Sailor Sid Diller right. and all this stuff. But even like knowing about that stuff, like I couldn't get into any learning forums or anything because nobody would have considered the shop I was at to be something right. worthwhile. So I eventually continued just being a shitty piercer and just bounced around Georgia and Florida and shit. So
0: like here just go at it like mm-hmm. the piercing thing like was there any like instructions for you getting into it at the shop um at the shop are just like here you go spray down the alcohol good yeah
1: luck. they were pretty much it was that kind of shop like they were like okay you're gonna watch me do a few of them and i watched pretty much do one of just about nothing <laughs> right. like probably did like i watched him um, supervised do like uh nipples navels and stuff like that you're
0: young you're confident you've already been piercing with cat nails you don't care looking back now you're like holy shit oh dude you're like yeah i'm the shit
1: yeah and like the first hood piercing i ever did was on a woman old enough to be my grandmother and she fucking comes in the room she looks at me and she's like you old enough to even know what it is and i was like this is horrifyingly disgusting but i got this yeah and so i rocked out my first hood piercing which was probably far too shallow and her anatomy probably wasn't good enough to support it but Right. Yeah. Look back and like, God, that was terrifying. Right. So I bounced around being a shitty piercer and like, were
0: you piercing inside out or are you piercing into like a receiving tube? Into a receiving tube. Okay. Yeah.
1: And so I bounced around a bit in Florida and Georgia and North South Carolina, Indianapolis of all fucking places. I ended up, which I actually really love that city. And fucking, I ended up in Athens, Georgia because a friend of mine was going to Athens for something. And I was like, yo, let me hop in the car. And so I hop in the car and go to Athens, Georgia. And when we get there, I'm like, this place is pretty fucking neat. And he was like, yeah, it's pretty cool here. And then he was like, all right, well, let's fucking head back to Warner Robins. And I was like, or no, I was in Atlanta is where I was. And he was like, let's head back to Atlanta. I was like, I'm going to stay here. No fucking plan. No nothing. What age no is ad- this? Uh, I was this? probably 18, 19. Oh, wow. And no fucking clue what I was going to do. And so, of course, I, like, wandered around and then bumped into, like, some punk rock chicks. And I was like, hey, uh, is there, like, any, like, squat houses around here? And I ended up finding one of them took me to this uh, squat house is the uh, Pulaski House. I think that's how Paul. Polowski or Pulowski. Mm-hmm. it was like a pretty known like punk house in athens and i ended up just crashing there on the fucking couch like and what it, well, it was funny they just took me there and they're like oh yeah just go in and like because all the doors were unlocked i'd never met anyone that lived there i just went in went on the living room and just face planted on a couch and i just had a fucking book bag with enough wow. clothes in it bizarre. and no one said shit like i look back on some of the weird bizarre shit like that i've done in life and been like I could have been a fucking serial killer, and these dudes that lived in the house—I probably only spoke to a few of them like once.
0: I had a really similar experience out in Gainesville, Florida. Oh, Gainesville. Me and my friend Brian—we uh—we went to Florida and we were like riding our bikes. We went to like Cape Coral, Punta Gorda. And we made it oh, sure. to yeah. Tampa, and then from Tampa to St. Pete. And we met this guy named Mike, and and his girlfriend, or who he was singing at the time, she was vegan, and so was her roommate and they let us stay there and they made us vegan food. And yeah. And he told us, Oh, if you go up to Gainesville, I have these friends at the Axe Manor and, and <laughs> it's like these dudes in this D-beat band and they were super cool. And he's like, just go up there and tell him, you know, me, tell me, you no know Mike from St. Pete. <clears throat> I think it was Mike. Sorry. <laughs> if Mike finds this, I'm sorry, bro. But, um, yeah, that was, I was, uh, 19, 18, 19, at the same time. And, um, we, we, we got our way up to Gainesville, we found the address, it's a normal looking home, we knock on it, and there's like a party ensuing, and we know Mike, oh, Mike rules, yes, Yeah, yeah. you're coming, crash there, and we. And it turned into like, <laughs> through a couple of weeks, Yeah. And it was something where it was like, you know, if you guys just like, recycle our cans and pay us like, 40 bucks a month, those can be your couches, and you can yeah. just live here, you know, and they'd have like, punk shows in the garage, and it was, it was a pretty cool couple of weeks, but like, that's, like, cool. That's, like, kind of a neat... sound Yeah. Really and it's, story. like,
1: what's crazy is just, like, looking back on, like, the time period and just being, like... Because an adult, you would... I wouldn't... If no. I fucking woke up and there was some dude with face tattoos asleep on a couch in my living room that I'd never seen in my fucking life, right. I would have beat his fucking ass. Right. And they, like... I would, like, kind of nod up when they would, like, walk through to leave in the morning. And they're just like, later. And I was like, okay, cool. So... Uh, I realized that, like, I probably couldn't fucking chair, couldn't stay there forever. So mm-hmm. I was like, I got to find a job in this here fucking town How of Athens, Georgia. How there? Uh, I crashed there for, like, a week or two weeks, I think. Oh, shit. So not Same too story. long. It's crazy. And, or maybe it was a week and a half. I can't even remember exactly because right. also, we'll get into this, but I used to have a really bad drug problem. <laughs> and so I don't remember a lot with my life sometimes. But, um, so I was wandering around. And I knew there were a lot of shops in the area, and at this time, I did not have a portfolio because I didn't know that that was things piercers should have or job references at shops that people would want to associate themselves with. And so I wandered around, didn't find anything off the bat with shops, but I walked into this diner because I've always worked in kitchens and stuff when I couldn't find anywhere to work. Mm -hmm. And so I go in, there was the, uh, the, fuck, yeah. I can't remember the name of it, but it's this really bomb diner in the main drag of Athens, Georgia, and they have, like, really bitchin' french fries. And I go in there, and I was like, hey, uh, I'm looking for a cook job and everything. It turns out that some other scuzzy punk kid was coming in for an interview and was gonna be guaranteed the job because his friends worked there. And totally
0: swooped in on it? Yeah, and so I walk oh, in there, yeah. and
1: the, the owner assumed I was this guy. Right. So they ended up giving that kid a job, too. And I ended up working there for a little bit, and... So it was pretty much fucking madness, just like diner operation kind of thing and like in a football town. So like game days, it was like, oh, I got to make 200 hamburgers at once. I'm going to die. Right. But so my first week working there, like they gave a really good, like you could get a shift meal every shift you work. So I was able to get food, which was cool. And at the time, and since also I didn't have lunch
0: like... And on the and french fries. Oh so yeah. There oh, of the course.
1: And so I was like looking through like the local paper, trying to find like someplace to live that I could afford and I found like there was these apartments like a couple streets away where it was like everyone it was like a four bedroom apartment with like a big common room in the middle
0: mm-hmm. and
1: since it was a college town they would just like sublease these rooms out to whoever owned the apartment Okay. and so one of them was for rent it was like 200 bucks a month and I was like a... <laughs> sign of the times too it was like 200 bucks a month fucking yeah. nice apartment shit yeah and so it was like this ragtag group of people that shouldn't be living together it was like mm-hmm. a exchange student from India a Mormon chick and an alcoholic rap guy and me and i had nothing in my room i just had weird sitcom like i had a blanket that i grabbed from goodwill and a pillow and that on the floor and that was it and so i kept working at this diner and then um fucking i got fired from the diner and i was like oh fuck i wonder if there's any of these shops around here are hiring and this is the moment that i always accredit to me turning my fucking career around as a piercer because even though I knew about BME and fucked around with all that shit, I didn't know much about, like, quality piercing and stuff like that. So here comes me, probably haven't showered in a minute, wearing the same jeans from six months ago. And I walk into Pain and Wonder because I heard they were looking for a piercer. And if you're not familiar, Pain and Wonder is Bethra ski shop. I mispronounced mm. her last name my whole life. She'll probably kill me for that. But, um... So I go in there and it was the first time I had ever been in a quality shop. I was seeing all the logos for like Industrial Strength, the metal, the And I was like, this shop's red and it's beautiful. And I walked straight up to Bethra not knowing that she owned the shop or anything. I was like, hey, I heard you guys are looking for a piercer. And she looks me dead in my fucking soul because I probably smelled awful and was like, Leans over the counter, she's like, do you have your portfolio and a resume? And I was like, one, at that time in my life, I probably couldn't have spelled resume if someone asked me to. Right, so what was your answer? You- <laughs> and I didn't have a portfolio. I was like, I don't got one. She's like, how long have you been piercing? I'm like, a few years now. <laughs> and she was like, hey, do you go to the APP conference? And I didn't fucking know what that was. <laughs> and I was just like, what's that? And she was like, the uh, educational conference by, put on by the Association of Professional Piercers. And I was like, oh, the, the, I'm like stammering no idea what to do or what to respond and she was just like get out (laughs) i was like all right bye (laughs) and i went to the fucking library and i was like what the fuck is this the app and i google it and then i started reading articles in the point and everything because they at the time you can just you can just read those online Okay. and so i was like okay well fuck uh, I don't know what I'm doing with, the, with this, but I want to get better at it. I want to work in places like this. This place is nice. The shops I worked at, definitely people were smoking meth in. Like, All I want right. to do this. And so I, in that moment, bounced, left. Didn't, like, even with the apartment that I left, I just left. Where'd you go to? I went to, back to Warner Robins, Georgia. What was that? Huh? Why was that? Why'd you dip um, Warner Robins, Georgia, uh, good friends of no, mine. No, why?
0: Hmm? Why'd you dip out there?
1: 'Cause Oh, this is where Oh oh uh, so I went back to Warner Robins, Georgia because yeah. I uh some friends of mine, their mom had always she was very much the person I always refer to her as my mom. She was like that person that like you ever seen the blind side?
0: Yeah, but not in a long time. Well like, the football player yeah like sandra
1: bullock takes in the homeless football player kid
0: you're the homeless football player yeah yeah,
1: she is very much sandra bullock in the blind side except way more terrifying if you fuck with her kids okay and so like anytime i was in that area and needed a place to live or needed something to eat like even though they didn't have much that's where you went and so i went back there ended up like meeting some chick at a show like date started dating her and then moved to atlanta i was like piercing sometimes and just like cleaning up gas station parking lots when i was in warner robbins to try to make a little money okay and so this girl i was dating was lived in sharpsburg who I'd met through like the music scene and stuff and she we started dating and then we decided we were going to move in together and all that good happy horse shit and so she got accepted to a college in atlanta so i was like fuck it moved to atlanta with her and i was working at a pet store in the fucking mall because and that was another funny one i went in there and started working a hot topic at first, as all piercers at right. some point seem to have done. And I was out walking around the mall on my lunch break, and I go into the pet store, and the pet store girls were freaking out because a snake had gotten out, and all of them were terrified to touch it. Mm. And I'm just like looking at things in there and like petting a dog and shit, and they're like, "Are you scared of snakes?" I'm like, "Nah, no, not at all." And then they're like, "One of them got out," so I just walk back there and just fucking grab a like. A little ball python that's like this long like a baby one they're
0: doing work in there that's yeah weird.
1: exactly and so i put it back in the thing and they're like oh my god are you like good with those animals i'm like i don't know i grew up in the fucking woods it's a snake i don't care i'll pick it up as long as it doesn't make the noise i'm not scared of it right and the manager was like do you have a job and i was like i do but it kind of sucks because it's a fucking hot topic and they're like okay cool how much they pay i told them they're like cool well we pay better and you get sales commission and i was like oh fuck yeah Quit my job at Hot Topic, started working at the pet store. Same mall? Yeah, same fucking mall. Whoa, crazy. (laughs) And so one day I was outside smoking a cigarette and I ended up meeting um, fucking the owner of Psycho Tattoos' wife, similarly, uh, Dino Cook's wife at the time. And I can't remember this. They might have still been married or it might have been like right after they had divorced. Uh And I was like talking to, she was talking to me because I was covered in tattoos and she was covered in tattoos as well. And then she's like, oh, what are you doing? I'm like, I'm kind of a body piercer, but I'm like between shops right now because I just moved up here. And she's like, oh, well, we're looking for a piercer at one of our locations. Oh, wow. And I was like, all right. Cool, I'll go check it out. So I go in there and I get the fucking job. Like,
0: Damn, you really just stumbled your way.
1: Yeah, like, like into the whole industry. Like, so cool. I kept hitting like, in, like I didn't have a portfolio still at this time. Right. So I hit up like every kid I knew in the music scene because it was like MySpace era. And I was like, who the fuck wants snake bites? Who wants a Medusa piercing? Well, like, I've heard those. Everyone, come in here, come by Spider my. Spider Yes, yeah, like dumb bites. shit like that. I'm like, come. All here. kinds of bites. Yeah, come by my fucking apartment. That's sketchy as shit. And I'm going to pierce you in my fucking kitchen. And I still, to this day, will always laugh about this. Quite possibly one of the best and most symmetrical piercings, like, paired setups I've ever done was in a kitchen. (laughs) This, This chick, she was like, I want paired Monroe piercings. And I don't know fucking how I nailed that so good. Like, angles and everything. I'm, even though I did it in the kitchen with Unimax needles, I'm still proud of it. Yeah. And... So I took that portfolio. They looked kitchen at kitchen lighting it. is key. Yeah, and they were like, "You're you know what you're doing?" I'm like, well, blah, blah. I'm like, yeah." And they're like, "You ever work? With, you work with internally threaded jewelry?" And I was like,
0: "So they were already using that back then?" Oh yeah. Wow.
1: They, um, they were using like when I came in there, they were using a nanometal, industrial strength BBLA. Damn, so you
0: stumbled into a whole different
1: world. Yeah, and they were like, I was like, at the time, I didn't really I knew what internally threaded was from seeing those ads and the point, and I was like, right yeah I've worked with it quote unquote. right and so i started working there and worked there for quite a few fucking years that's so cool and then the girl I was dating uh, at the time she her life dream always was to live in LA and so I was like doing good making kind of decent money for uh, like 19 20 year old shithead in Atlanta mm-hmm. or no I was like I was 20 had just turned 21 And I was like, fuck it, let's do it. Because even though I didn't want to move to L.A., she really wanted to, and I wanted to make her happy. So we did. Drove cross-country, fucking straight to L.A. Did you have plans when you got here? I I did, actually. Oh, yeah, backtrack a little bit. Um, So... I put the feelers out there on the old MySpace uh, to find a shop looking for a piercer mm. in LA. At this point, you have a
0: resume. Yeah, at this you point, have I have portfolio. a resume. I have Get a, that MySpace portfolio. Yeah, I've got
1: actually an extensive portfolio. Yeah, you're killing it. And so I fucking ended up like talking to a few shops and like coming out to check them out. And I ended up landing with uh, Velvet Grip. Oh, yeah. that's how it came about. Yep, moved, and then flew back, packed everything into a U-Haul drove across country to work for velvet grip well so when you came out here like
0: why did you fly back did you think you weren't going to stay here
1: oh no um i flew out by myself just to like hang out and see how i got along with people and then little guest spot yeah it was like the smartest way i've ever done anything at that time of my life because then like the pay they promised me sounded really good which in hindsight i should have researched cost of living in los angeles because what i thought was really baller pay was pretty much the same thing i was making in atlanta right which was enough to get by so I move out to LA and I fucking pierced there and I pierced at Freak Chic a little bit because there was some, they were doing some remodeling at Velvet Grip at the time when I moved. Was so, it the same owner? uh
0: uh-huh. Oh, shit. Yeah, the that. original owner, of the Todd. Whoa, okay. And
1: so they everybody from the shop while they were doing the remodeling and everything were all working at Freak Chic, which, um, have you ever been through there?
0: Yeah, it was on Melrose, right? Yeah, it was on
1: Melrose. Um, you ever remember House of Freaks? They no. used to be upstairs. It was the guy that had House of Freaks, which was actually one of the like the longest running, like piercing only studios on oh. Melrose. And then he opened like a full service tattoo shop. It was actually one of the more beautiful shops I've ever seen. Huh. And now it's uh, Radiant Tattoo Labs or whatever. Okay. But so I worked between the two of them pretty much seven days a week for an eternity.
0: <laughs> and so your chick moved out with you? Mm-hmm. What was she doing? What what was she getting to?
1: Um she went to cosmetology school, didn't finish, and then we came to LA And she didn't really have much of a plan, but she she knew she wanted to be in L.A. Yeah, she just wanted to be in L. A. And like now she does. I think she does like fashion PR or some shit, which is cool. Good for her. Yeah, she's happy. Like we ended up like not working out. It happens. It's life. We were young and dumb. You ended (laughs) up
0: in L. A. It Might have been the best thing for you.
1: Yeah, exactly. And so um, she ended up like working at Urban Outfitters, like right up the street from where we lived. Uh So I could walk to work. She could walk to work. It was rad. Killing it. Yeah. Oh my back. So how'd you? So you're working at Velvet Grip, and then.
0: when did you start dabbling with jewelry did this happen at velvet grip oh no i've actually
1: like dabbled with jewelry and metalwork for quite a long time uh probably been making jewelry it's funny like it's another one of those things where i'm like i'm not entirely sure when i started exactly because there was like one time some girl that i had hung out with and dated a little bit like sent me a random message on instagram because she came across my instagram she was like holy shit i still have a necklace that you made me 11 years ago oh wow and i'm like was I making yours? Like, I don't remember that. Must have been those but, wild years. Yeah, so I was like, all right, cool. And so the family that I grew up in, they uh, were into motorsports and building cars and doing automotive restoration and repair. So I learned under a machinist how to do, like, operate manual machining equipment. So of course, instead of learning to do the stuff that I was being shown how to do, like, if I had free time, instead of practicing that shit, I'd fucking make rings out of fucking, like, solid, like, stainless steel. Okay. Make brass knuckles. Like, dumb shit like that. I made a sword one time just because why the fuck not? Right. And then I couldn't find anywhere to really, like, the shop that I was, like, hanging out in. They didn't have jewelry bigger than a fucking 10-gauge. And, mm. like, they didn't have tapers. They didn't have plugs or anything. Dude refused to order because I, like, show him stuff in, like, pain him, painful or what's that? Pain magazine.
0: Painful pleasures. Yes, or th- those. Oh guys no, just actual really, pain. Yeah, pain magazine, like in the, like the ads. That weird looking pee. Yeah. Like, yeah, and I'd
1: be like, "Can we go do this?" He's like, "To fuck no, nobody's gonna buy this. This is Albany, Georgia." I'm right. Like, Solid point. <laughs> and so, fucking, I started like making my own tapers and stretching my ears with them and shit. Oh wow. And dabbled quite heavily from there, like with never like much plan or direction with it. But when I was in LA, like I started like playing with it more because the owner of uh, Velvet Grip, um, like I had always been just kind of a hobby thing that I would play around with and be like, oh cool, like hanging out in a friend's workshop. He's got a welder. I'm gonna weld some shit together and make like something dumb. Right. And so the owner of Velvet Grip, back in the early Dark Ages of piercing, actually owned a quality body jewelry company. Oh shit. And he had like one of the perks of that shop is he had an insane back stock left over after he closed that company down in that, mm. in like the early 2000s so we had like bags of 16 gauge 516 barbells that were tapped ready to go just need to be polished oh, wow. and same thing with like most barbell links in 14 and 12 so getting the yeah. finer details of things yeah and like so we'd fucking, we had pretty much like there was so much stuff that we didn't have to order because he had just fucking like five gallon Ziploc bags just full of like, okay, cool, here is enough fourteen gauge five 8 barbells to last you to the end of time. Yeah. So I would just he would just set me up above the shop with a polishing machine. And at first we put the machine polishing machine in the back parking lot. So it was like just polishing barbell fly across my like, well never gonna see that again. Right. And then we got the space above the shop and I started uh polishing uh jewelry up there and started dabbling with and experimenting with jewelry again. And so I picked up a lathe of my own, which, fun fact, the lathe that I got is uh Jim Ward's lathe. Whoa. And I ended up with that. I bought it off the uh dude from Good Art. Oh. And he, like made a connection to he was like oh yeah a lot of this stuff i bought off jim ward when the gauntlet closed crazy and then i like l- found pictures of jim ward sitting at the same type of lady you still have it yeah that's so i still use cool. it too sometimes to make body jewelry Legendary. and like i saw a picture of it and with jim ward and i hit him up and i was like "Yo, did you have like a unimat dbsl that you sold to uh, josh from good art and he was like yeah and i was crazy. like i'm pretty sure i got it <laughs>
0: That's so cool.
1: It, it sits in my attic. I use it every now and then for just, like, some random stuff. Because it's a Swiss Swiss watchmaker's lathe. Mm-hmm. And even though it still runs and everything, it's so old that I just, like, kind of don't want to, like, fuck with it too heavy and, like, ruin no, it. that's cool. Because it's, like, too, it's all original. Like, nothing on it's been ever replaced wow. in the time that I've had it. So I just, I'm like, eh. Every that's now and cool. then when I, like, need to cut some threads, like, a long length of thread, I'll set up the thread cutting die and just cut it on that. Crazy. And so I would start dabbling. I started making like um, plugs and stuff on it and like fucking so around. So it's just like downtime wire Yeah Yeah, just shop? like, ah, cool. I don't have any clients. I'm going to go sit upstairs and just like make a piece of jewelry and stuff. That's so cool. And then it started evolving from there. And like I started playing with brass and shit a lot uh, because like with steel and titanium. Brass the, is pliable. Yeah, honestly. like there was more stuff I could do with it. You could torch weld it easier. Right. And, and it's cheap. Yeah, it's super cheap. So I started playing with brass and shit a little bit and then fucking started playing with like silver and stuff like that. And then fast, it was many years later, but uh, after the girl that I moved to LA with, once we stopped dating, I ended up meeting uh, my now ex-wife, but I would just make her jewelry all the time because I couldn't, like I could buy cool stuff and kind of survive. I lived in LA as a piercer. I made enough money to get by and have some fun things, but I wasn't like balling out and go to the jewelry store kind of thing so i'd like make shit because it's always cuter when there's like the whole like intention of making it counts and she worked for a rather wealthy older woman and so this one time she was wearing i think i still have this necklace somewhere at home and it's quite possibly the ugliest fucking thing i've ever made in my life Mm -hmm. it looks like a big it looks like costume jewelry even though it's like probably a solid pound of silver in it but it looks like a bunch of butterfly wings made of like museum-grade Labradorite cabochons that at the time I didn't know how to set stones very well, so I'm pretty sure if you fucking shook it really hard, everything would fall <laughs> out. And then the chain was alternating blue and yellow abalone ye- yellow yellow abalone yeah. shell. And it was god-awful.
0: That was a lot of time you put in that, Oh though. dude, it was hideous.
1: And, like, soldering it together, like, it was just, like, a big mess of solder, and there's all this porosity in the solder, so I just, like, textured it with a cup burr, so it looked like, it looked like fish scales. It's hideous. Right. But this woman loved it, because she wore it to a meeting with her boss, and her boss Uh was like, oh, where'd you get that? I really love it, because it was, like, very flashy and gaudy, which was that woman's style. Right. And so, that evolved into her hitting me up, wanting to know if I would like to make jewelry for her. Oh, wow. And she was very wealthy, so... I was like, oh yeah, sure. And like the first thing she started asking me to do is like starting to make pieces of jewelry that would take me like a day to make that would make me the amount of money I would make in a week of piercing.
0: So was she, was she saying, will this be enough? Or are you quoting the price? How'd you even know what's the price of that?
1: Um, I kind of just like read around the internet. There's like a lot of good forums for jewelry making and everything out there. So I just like, I vastly undersold myself a lot with that woman.
0: Yeah, but that's what you have to do. Yeah,
1: because, right? like, I didn't know what I was doing pricing-wise. I'm like, all right, gold costs this, the stone that I bought online. Because, like, at the time, I would just buy everything online from, like, Rio Grande. Because Rio Grande will give an account to fucking anybody. And so I'd buy some wi- gold wire. I'd buy, like, a pre-made gold setting and throw, like, a gemstone in it. And, like, you can get things at a way better price when you're actually, like, in the system, like in the game jewelry-making-wise. So I would just buy that stuff, and I'd be like, all right, so from what I gather on the internet, I just multiply all this times three, and there we go. That's the price, which technically is kind of correct, but without factoring in overhead, labor hours, all that shit. So I was, like, basically giving her stuff at just— That'd be correct if it was a retail item that you didn't make. Yeah, And it was basically, I was just giving her, like, wholesale material cost on everything. Uh But you live, you learn. And so she kept buying stuff from me. And, like, every year, she would have this big Christmas party for a charity that she ran. And she would give gifts to all the women that were important or were super close to her. And she would have me make all the jewelry. That's so cool. And... It started evolving from that to, what like... What
0: kind of jewelry are you making? Are making funky necklaces? What are you making? Necklaces, clothes? rings, earrings. And it's all upstairs, velvet grip, making yeah. all this happen? Yep. Damn, that's a dope side hustle. With,
1: like, no tools, like, no idea what I was doing. Like, there's a type of tool called a graver, and you use that to... Different shaped ones to, like, cut out stuff for engraving, and then also to, like, raise and make prongs in sheet metal and everything. Right. And I couldn't afford one, because I didn't... And I also didn't know what the fuck I was doing, so I just made one out of an old, like, fucking needle file which would dull every time I used it. So I'd spent more time sharpening than setting stones with the thing. Damn. And like on top of it, it, was just kind of winging it and learning as I would go. And I would just sit and read everything I could and just like make jewelry until the sun came up because I'd work at Velvet Grip from noon till midnight. And then I'd probably go to the bar next door and get real hammered and then go upstairs and make jewelry all night. So did she know like... Oh, that's crazy. <laughs> so she... That's so
0: wild that you have this like return client. So was she like wearing fancy shit? Did she know the quality difference? In what you were doing? Was she just stoked? Was she? Did she know she was helping you out or she
1: Yeah, thinking? that's the thing is like I don't know because like I would have been over to her house. I'd been over to parties and events she had thrown, and like got to do a lot of really interesting and wild things through mm-hmm. having my ex wife work, who was working for her on top of it. Like I got ended up getting to make jewelry for some really crazy interesting people because of that and. She had stuff that was, it was weird. She would, she had enough money to where it didn't make sense sometimes. Where like she would buy things that were clearly like you could look at it and be like, This is low quality crap that someone sold to you at a mm-hmm. higher price because they knew you'd pay it, right? And like, I think she, I got a lot of repeat business from her because I gave her a good deal. There's like been a few pieces I sold her that I look back on and I'm just like, Yeah, that thing should have sold for like you know <laughs> a a couple more thousand dollars than the 500 I charged her for it. Right. Because a lot of times, too, she didn't care.
0: But the time, it was, like, such a perfect learning experience for yeah. you. Yeah, and, like, learning. I had a lot of, like,
1: the free reign because, like, um, I would every year hand draw and watercolor a Christmas catalog of just all one-of-a-kind stuff for her. Wow. And I, at some points, I was like, I don't even know why I'm doing putting all this effort into, like, this little, like, watercolored, like, hand-bound catalog that I'm making because she would barely thumb through it and just be like one of everything
0: so rad yeah
1: and so i'd get to make stuff that like there were times i'd draw something like i'd see a gemstone downtown that i'd never be able to afford and or never thought i'd be able to afford or something and i'd be like i'm gonna draw something with that and then i'd draw it and give her a ridiculously good deal on it and she'd buy it and i'd be like cool i get to make a piece out of something that i really want this
0: lady like where did her money come from what was she doing no one really knew (laughs) that's <laughs> so cool. Um, she She's like a little, like, angel to your career.
1: Yeah, she was actually, uh, in, her life was very interesting, but very clouded in secrecy. Um, she was actually a political refugee from Indonesia and came oh, over wow. here with nothing.
0: Crazy.
1: And apparently, her story is she built a real estate empire and then uh, got into oil investing and had huh. far more money than God, like, Wow. Yeah. And it was very interesting. Huh. And so for years, like I'd make jewelry, like if it was Valentine's day, like she, it was funny because I, she had me making so much stuff and I was making enough money and then found out I had a kid on the way. So I was like, okay, cool. We like talked about it and I was like, all right, I'll stay home, do the stay at home dad thing and focus on making jewelry. And hindsight, I should have probably kept a full-time job. Like I will tell, always tell people, I'm like, <laughs> learn from my mistake save up at least like four months worth of income before you quit to chase turning your hobby into your career because she was actually pretty much the only client i had like i'd make like an engagement ring for a friend like once or twice a year and every now and then i'd make some stuff here and there for other people but for the most part like oh valentine's day had rolled through she'd just be like hit me up she's like i need earrings for all the all the women in my life and i'm like cool someone's birthday would show up make jewelry for their birthday. Christmas had come around like every year at Christmas. Sounds she, like you only really needed
0: her when you first started Yeah, like I really only did Yeah,
1: until it didn't anymore. Right. And so she uh, ended up um, like every year just on Christmas alone would spend like forty to $50,000. Damn. And I would just make jewelry. I was pretty much her private jeweler and my skills got better and everything and I got to just like experiment a lot because she didn't seem to care like there are definitely some pieces where i was just like mm, shouldn't have let that leave and haunts me to this day that it's out there just waiting to fall apart on whatever insanely rich person she gave it to right and then someone out there is going to repair it and you're like i don't know my friend got it from so right. <laughs> and so then great that's like it's like when you do like an apprentice tattoo that's out there that you're like oh man they're telling people i did that
0: i just got sent a picture of one today from anthony you saw saw Tattoo out in the wild. They did like, oh, you know, and I was put, I was coming back classic Wayne. Yeah. It (laughs) happens. (laughs) It was cool to see. But like
1: making jewelry for her, I ended up getting to make stuff for like Joe Montana's wife. Um, like indirectly, like I would meet them and everything. And then like, I got to make stuff for Sidney Poitier and his wife, which was, that was cool as hell. Yeah. And then from there, like I had decided to quit piercing full time because the kid was on the way and focus on jewelry. And, years go by and or not many years I guess a couple years went by and Mm -hmm. then eventually my um, ex-wife stopped working for her and at the time like when she quit like her the boss at first the old lady was like okay I still want to get jewelry from you and stuff blah 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 we've had such a good working relationship for so long but that woman ended up being uh, and also at this time is when me and my ex-wife were like pretty much at the tail end of things right so um, she left the job everything was cool she was still buying jewelry from me and then one day out of nowhere which the wo- woman had like chant- had times where she would be really and in- irrationally cruel to people mm. and she like emailed my ex about a bunch of things and like ripped her to shreds on it and at the time my ex was like dude you gotta like say something to her she can't just like email me out of the blue and talk to me like uh, that and so I did and that ended that business relationship
0: fuck
1: I don't know, but it happens, and, like, unfortunately, I can't say, like, her name or name names on no, that no, one. No, no, it's
0: fine. It doesn't matter. But, but you kind of what's right by a chick at yeah, that exactly. time, I suppose. I mean. Yeah, Yeah,
1: it's like, I I saw how she talked to her and how she right. treated her, and saw how she actually treated her and her other employees over the years. And I was like, you know, as much as I liked the money, and it was great, and it was getting to do, like, funding me, but having the lifestyle.
0: Get away from that one client. Do something
1: yeah, else. Exactly. Uh, but and at
0: that point, you're ready. You had your resume again. Yeah. Your exactly. Begins. Well,
1: kinda. <laughs> yeah. So more we do a head
0: start than the piercing time. Yeah.
1: Exactly. It was like, oh god. So that happens, and then I slowly start to realize that no one is really buying jewelry from me. Mm. And I was like, okay, this is this is a thing. Like twiddling my thumbs like I haven't made a sale in a few months and my bank account is getting really Whoa. dry. And what stuff
0: were you making at this time? Besides, when, when I you was just, I was
1: still making only fine jewelry. Mm-hmm. And and you, you had no, like, in,
0: like there was no, like, I want to make baiji, I want to make the teeth. That wasn't in your head well, yet? Well, see,
1: yeah, that wasn't in my head yet. And at the time, like, I wanted to just keep... I had gotten really obsessed with the world of, like, high jewelry and couture jewelry and, like, art jewelry and stuff, which also hindsight looking back in that time when that woman was buying jewelry from that's me, why since, you came with
0: the other couture because yeah
1: that uh, we'll get to that um i don't want to skip ahead oh no but, but s- when he said the word i was like oh, oh and so like um since i was wanting to pursue that world there's i always tell people like some of the best jewelry designers and jewelry houses that exist none of us have ever heard of uh-huh. for the most part unless you're into that w- world and namely can afford it like that makes sense yeah there's like people like uh lydia cordial who her work and designs are amazing but they're like more art than jewelry and the average person has no idea who she is which is okay because the average person isn't gonna drop sixty thousand dollars on a ring that sits like this tall and is made out of is red nano ceramic holding a bunch of rubies and shit right like stuff like that and so since I was in love with the world and that craftsmanship and stuff, I started collecting stones to make pieces like that. So I ended up sitting having a stone collection that's pretty extensive of stuff that at the time I couldn't sell. Like I could only sell back within the industry and not even get what I even paid for it, right. trying to resell it that way. So like I had stuff like hot pink, untreated spinels from Sri Lanka that I'm like, yeah, if I put this in a ring, it'll be like five grand. And I'm like, oh yeah, no one that follows me on Instagram is going to buy this because right. nobody wants a neon pink fucking ring for five grand right now so it ended up near neon, neon pink five
0: thousand yeah. dollar rings yeah exactly. still got that stone waiting for you actually i think i sold it Ooh. no i
1: actually lost it in the laundry oh uh, what yeah it was in my po- i had it i had taken it to get uh reappraised because i'd read about the value of that uh spinel going up so i went to go get it reappraised and i had it in a ziploc bag in my pocket in my jeans like that little bitty pocket right and then forgot to take it out and then washed it in the laundry and never saw it again later yep but it happens um so at the time i was like realizing I'm like i'm not really making much jewelry. i'm not making any money i'm freaking out got, mm-hmm. a, got a baby and so um a piercer hit me up like an old piercer colleague uh and he was like hey man that ring you did that had the coffin shaped uh rubies in it could you do something like that except with like black diamonds or like a black stone or something mm-hmm. and at the time i didn't put much thought into body jewelry because I felt like from years of piercing that there wasn't anything I could add to the industry jewelry design wise that wasn't already out there. Right. So I didn't even like think about it. I was like, "Ah, oh, there's Body Gems, BBLA, Future Primitives, Leroy, Nanometal. They got it covered. No one's going to care about what I'm doing. And so he hit me up, asked me about that. And I was like, cool. I, yeah, let's, I can make that happen. Mm-hmm. So I made like the first one coffin shaped little black diamond threaded end. And that was the first piece of body jewelry that wasn't like a set of plugs or a taper or something that I had made. And um, then sent it to him, posted it online, had a few other piercers hit me up. be like, oh, can I get those too? Mm-hmm. I think, God, who are the... It was James Wozinski that owns the parlor in Buffalo, I think was the first person to hit me up about one and get one. And then followed by a piercer in Canada. I can't remember his name. And that turned into a complete nightmare because the James wanted one threaded and that one I knew how to do. And... and the guy in Canada wanted a threadless one, and I had fucking no idea. Like, at that time, I'd barely, like, when I had quit piercing, I just barely transitioned into using threadless jewelry. Right. And so I was like, yeah, sure. So I ended up putting, like, a 26 gauge pin on there, and it was way too big. So I'd ship it to Canada, then ship it back and put new pins on the back. And at the time, I still didn't know, like, a whole lot about what I was doing jewelry wise. Like I was just like experimenting a lot. And like when I was making fine jewelry for that woman, I was like, I had fallen in love with high, high jewelry and couture mm. jewelry. And in that world, pretty much everything's handmade from wire and scratch and metal and sheet metal. So like the first few little coffin-shaped diamonds, I actually handmade little coffin-shaped bezels that were like five millimeter by two point five wide. By like I rolled out like a piece of sheet for the backing, and I rolled out a piece of wire into a rectangle, and then I had to cut little grooves into it to fold form it into the shape of the stone. Working hard. Oh yeah, and I sold them for like a hundred and like forty bucks or something. Not smart. Yeah, you know, like the the amount of labor going into yeah. them. And then that's why I was like, there's got to be a better way to do this. You just
0: cast that shit. Yeah, exactly. So yeah. I got a
1: mold pulled off one and started casting them. And then, like, shot the shop in Canada. eventually got some that actually, like, worked because I had to realize how to make threadless jewelry. And then uh, Joel in Australia ordered a bunch of them. And then I, like, started thinking. I was like, maybe I should do this. Like, maybe I should. It's like, more your world, right? Yeah, I was like, I already know all these people, like. Maybe I should give it a shot. There's a clientele list
0: that's untapped right there.
1: Yeah, and so I just started, like, I would go and get gold wire. I'd make seam rings, solder some bezels on them, and call it a day and keep going. But then I slowly started getting people wanting to buy body jewelry from me. And then from there, like, I still was, like, at that time, I didn't have, like, a catalog. I still barely have anything resembling a catalog because I need to finally shoot, like, an actual one. you
0: got to watercolor that calendar. I know, right?
1: (laughs) I should do that again. But, um...
0: It worked before. Yeah.
1: So <laughs> I was making all this body jewelry and just like going around to shops in LA with like a shitty, like bought at like in the Jewel- Jewelers District locking briefcase, just full of just like random shit. Like I'd fucking take some seam rings and like solder a bezel onto them and like throw like a watermelon tourmaline in there. Just throw something cool and like go in there and like a few shops I'd go into, they would bought like a body electric. I'd walked in there and he'd. I walked in there I was like he's like how much for all of it I was like 700 bucks and he was like okay and I was like okay so I started going around to other shops and started selling them jewelry I'm like I'd make seam rings and stuff and then I remember uh it was uh I was gonna go to Vegas it was me my ex-wife my kid and my kids grandparents were all gonna go stay in a timeshare and everything and so I was going, this was also another fun learning experience. Uh, I had made an entire thread bar of 16 gauge threads and fucking, I cross threaded it when I made it. I didn't realize no. I had fucked it up. So I soldered together all these 16 gauge threadless ends. I dumped every last dime I had into making all of this jewelry. I called every shop in Las Vegas, like, hey, who wants to see some and stuff? Who wants was to fucked? see some stuff? And by the time I got done, I was like thread checking everything and all of it was stripped. And I was like, I've only got like five pieces of jewelry. And so that turned into like a big shit show. And then I was like very defeated and all that. And then decided to like come back at it. And that's when I started making, jewelry, like, focusing heavily on making body jewelry, and started designing, and did like started making clicker. Well, not really clickers. I call mine hinge rings because they don't click together. They kind of open sideways, and then you just lift up because it's like a pretty classic, like, tongue and tongue hinge right. kind of style. So started doing that, and then it started taking off from there. Wow. And then I uh, ended up working with a shop. In Hollywood as well on like a collaborative jewelry line and that's when I went to conference for the first time ever. I'd never went to conference as a piercer ended up going as a vendor.
0: Really? You, I must have met. what year was this? Uh,
1: shit. Year before last? I, I definitely think. met you then. Wow. Yeah. yeah. Crazy. That was my first conference. Or no. Was it year before last or the year before that? Because I've done... I think I've done it for three or four years. Yeah. So it it might have been It might have been like the like conference four years ago maybe okay i can't remember exactly but like i had started like putting out like wilder designs and i started using some of my connects in the finer fine jewelry world to like be able to bring some of the stuff i had in my head to life body jewelry wise right and so go to conference had a new vendor booth way in the back and fucking um yeah so they opened the florida members only we sold we sold out of everything we brought. I remember this. I think I was working with Terry and I oh, asked yeah. you how your day was. You're like, I'm all sold out. Yeah. We sold out in like, I think like 30 minutes or less. I left. totally remember this. Okay. And like everything that we had brought, which also, oh yeah, the, fuck. I completely glanced over what got me, at, how I started with Gold tea um, So a few months before conference, I had like a flashback memory of remembering about how, like, in Aztec and Mayan culture, they would lay jade and turquoise and shit in their teeth. And I was, like, remembering, like, oh, yeah, I always thought that was cool. and they I just drilling teeth. holes and hammering yeah. shit in. Yep, and just, like, adhesiving it in and shit. And yeah. I was like, I bet I could. Be. And I, then I started thinking about that. And I was like, oh, yeah, I always wanted gold teeth, too, growing up in the South, listening to a lot of rap. And I was like, I bet I could figure out how to combine this. And so I made my first set of gold teeth, which were horribly ill-fitting, fucking looked awful at the time i had no stone carving experience or equipment so how i did the inlay for the opal one was i took a piece of synthetic black opal smash it with a fucking hammer and mixed it with dental acrylic which made like a mosaic because when the dental acrylic cured you could sand it grind it and polish it and it would have the same mohs hardness as the synthetic opal and it kind of had some of the opal like color fire to it right And people thought it was rad and wanted gold teeth from me and shit. So I went to conference that year uh, with Royal Heritage and we were selling jewelry. And then I was like taking dental impressions. So I learned the hard way that I had no fucking idea what I was doing with making gold teeth. Right. And so because we took like 20 or 30 dental impressions and then get back and I start making everything. And like it's a total crapshoot on whether things fit or not. Right. that went back and forth and like remade a bunch of stuff, learned a lot, learned about expansion rates of plasters, compatibility of alginate or putty material, all Was it stuff.
0: harder working with like, say, piercers with really understanding of the back and forth or was it worse because they kind of understood quality of things?
1: How um, was that? I think at the time, I think it was a little better because everyone was more understanding the fact that I had never done it before. And then also, I think a lot of the piercers at the time, it was... I feel I hate saying anything that makes me feel like I like brought a trend about, but it was like I feel like that year is when every piercer at conference got a gold tooth, and mm. like so they weren't really sure what to expect with getting gold teeth. Okay. And so when things didn't fit, I had no fucking clue what I, how to answer the mm. questions. So we ended everyone up, learned with you. Yeah, exactly. And I just tried to remake sets for everybody and try to do be good on everything. There were like a few people that was like a year later to, that we're just like, Hey, I never got my teeth. out like, Oh shit, let me give you a refund. Whoa, yeah. And just like try to make good on the situation. Cause I always joke that I have the worst, but best memory or no, my apprentice the other day was like, you have the simultaneous memory of an elephant and a goldfish. Mm-hmm. Because like once something makes it past that five minutes, five seconds of memory part, I will remember it bizarrely. Cause I'll always get irritated. Cause he'll ask me, he's like, he'll be looking through paperwork and he's like, Hey, what is this? And I'm like, dude, you know, I don't remember. And he's like, the client's name is this. Then I'll start rattling, rattling off like Rain Man, just like random information about the okay. order. And so like, I always just joke They're like, yeah, I never forget about anybody's orders, but I forget to do them sometimes. Right. And so fast forward from there, everyone like was freaking out and bought all the jewelry. Uh, everybody got all the gold teeth. And then fast forward from there, things ended up not working out with the partnership with Royal Heritage. And she went her, um, the owner of that shop, went their way. and They're now pursuing their jewelry work as well. And then I just pursued on my way. And so I started, like, uh, focusing a lot on the gold teeth and traveling and doing that. And just, like, doing, like, guest spots with it and stuff. And- so how
0: long messing with the gold gold teeth till you started to kind of figure it out was it just um, that
1: bulk of orders once those are figured out you kind of had oh it no it took out? a while it took after that fiasco of like all those fucked up teeth and having to remake them i ended up just like scouring the internet trying to find somebody that would talk to me about like how to make them because that whole like facet of jewelry work is very secretive like they all keep like nobody wants any competition so no one's going to help anyone that they don't know and i eventually like came across like this uh guy from atlanta and i hit him up and he was just like oh man what do you need to know if there's enough money out there for all of us and i was like cool so i sat and go back and forth and be like oh cool i have no fucking clue what i'm doing because like i would do it how i would do things was hard not smart You were yeah, just learning exactly. the, hard way the whole time and yeah. like turns out there was like you had to prep the plaster a certain way you had to like cut marginal lines and all this stuff that i wasn't doing because i had no
0: clue You're just crossing our fingers yeah just like hoping somewhere. it would work like yeah. it was like
1: very much like i would throw a pile of gold teeth in the universe and see how many of them stick <laughs> and then tried to remember how i did the ones that worked and how right. to replicate it for the ones that didn't work and then i started like really getting into focusing on like the uh, opal work with teeth that seemed like that was like the niche right out mm-hmm. the gate right and because and I, also that was such a kind of new thing people well, were kind of willing, really, though it's really? like, people always like hit me up about it and they're like oh man like nobody's ever done that before but actually people have done like opal grills for a while um I just did it a little different like the ones I had seen in the past were people would get like an oval like cabochon and just throw a setting on a tooth throw it on there right like Erica Badu's had like a opal grill for fucking ever but um a lot of them were just like that like just like a cabochon shaped stone and I wanted them to look more like the actual tooth was made of opal so I was like started trying to experiment more because like at first my experiments were crushing the synthetic opal mixing it with dental acrylic and not being happy with the results and then i started to get some stone carving equipment i was like i'm gonna try to carve natural opal and then i found out the natural opal is really sensitive and a lot of natural specimens are sensitive to moisture so and temperature change so i had done like a few that had like natural opal and you'd go outside smoke a cigarette go inside drink ice water and just crack in half whoa and like stuff like that and the moisture would cause them to craze and lose color and stuff like that if they were um were hydrophane opals so ran into all those issues and then on top of that like the amount of material needed to carve like a half millimeter thick inlay that may or may not still have light play when you're done carving it was a lot and it ended up costing more money than it was worth to use natural and then just on top of that the odds are it was probably just going to break right So I started like diving whole hog into using synthetics and finding that those work best. And also you get consistent color play. You get options of color. Like I can do hot pink opals, neon green, Blacks, blues, all sorts of really cool colors like that are options that just aren't there with natural. So yeah. I've enjoyed that a lot more. And then, like, now I'm just trying to expand it into other stones. Like, I've been doing, I did a jade tooth recently. Oh, that's cool. And I'm trying to do more stuff like that, like jade and turquoise. I really want to do a tiger's eye tooth, even though I think Ooh. it'll. A little dark, but yeah, it could it's be like, cool. Like, it's one of those ones, like, I always tell people when they're like, I want a black opal tooth. I'm like, all right, cool. When we're face to face, looks rad because you see reds and greens right. and blues and yellows. But when you're five feet away from me, it's going to look like you have a black tooth.
0: What about Tiger's Eye set in, like, white gold so
1: it has more contrast than, like, yellow or rose? I think it might look good, but I also still think just from, like, further away distance, it's going to look like you have a brown tooth. Hmm. So I'm like... So how do you pull it off? I don't know. I haven't done it yet. <laughs> but it's one that I'm like, I want to <sighs> experiment with. And, like, it's funny because I was really worried about jade ones just being, like, because green, mm. like, neon green. And I was like, oh, these actually look dope yeah I, I
0: think i think it sounds awesome yeah i think it sounds
1: and then like cool. want to experiment with other stones and stuff and like play with other like weird concepts like i've got like a set that i'm going to be doing that's going to look like geometric stained glass Whoa. with doing uh kiln fired enamel in it and everything so it's going to look like red green blue translucent glass in that's like wild. three geometric patterns and stuff like that is that the grill like that or just what's inlaid in one of the teeth? Um the the grill, I was gonna cut like geometric patterns into oh, the wax yeah, okay. and then each one of those patterns would be a different translucent glass. Sounds fucking crazy. Yeah, so hopefully that works out.
0: You're apparently <laughs> like experimenting with that right now?
1: Yeah. That sounds like a
0: headache. Uh, yeah. <laughs> but like you have all the right things in place to figure out that, I guess. Yeah.
1: So it's like I always like to just experiment and play and then like On top of it, too, with, like, all, like, my body jewelry work, like, I just try to, like, design more out-there stuff. Like, for a minute there, like, I was always, like, I'm never going to be the guy that makes basics. Like, I didn't want to make tri-beads and discs and balls and seam rings and all that shit. And then, of course, now I make all those things because I learned quickly that, like, as much as I just want to make, like, fancy diamond septum pieces and stuff like that, people ain't buying... $7,000 $7,000 septum rings every month. Right, they're buying seam rings. Yep, they're buying seam rings. I could I could post on Facebook right now, here's a bag of seam rings, who wants it? And it would be gone in five minutes. Right. So it became like kind of like a means to an end, like um, more of a necessity. And it makes to, you...
0: And the, all the basics, you learn the basics, makes you better at doing yeah. the better shit. You exactly. To, so, to so it's like, as much as
1: I want to make like fancy like nipple clickers and like crazy like septum pieces and stuff, like doing... I'll get, like, orders where it's, like, 300 tri And it's, like, it's very mindless, monotonous work, but it's a day or two worth of work between me and my apprentice to do that kind of an right. order. And that order will pay our bills so that we can sit and play with making weird septum rings. But it seems like everything's kind of
0: culminated in full circle. Like, it's so wild. Like, making the big, gaudy, crazy jewelry just kind of gives you some know-how to make the big, gaudy, crazy gold teeth and yeah, exactly. that jewelry. And then, like the basics and then being a piercer and like, it's just all, it seems like it's all kind of meant to be to come into this route of jewelry. Yeah, it's been
1: very interesting. And then like the whole making gold teeth and then like the opal gold teeth, like really like expanded my career. Cause like when body jewelry orders are slow, I'm always making gold teeth. And then with like the traveling with it, I keep getting more and more clientele from that. What's your favorite thing to make? What are you into?
0: Um, I mean, you like the variety of everything?
1: Uh, yeah, I like the variety. My favorite things to make are just, like, the more weird and bizarre, the better. Right. <laughs> but, like, right now I'm starting to, oh, sorry, I'm starting to experiment more with, uh, I've really, like, fallen more in love with, like, uh, synthetic opal just as a medium to work with. And, like, I feel like a lot of people don't work with it right. as, like, uh, just an, another medium because it's not the most expensive material in the world. Like I, I usually buy it and buy it in brick form, like just big ass bricks. Right. And then I also buy it in like I, the laboratory that I get all my uh, synthetic opal from in Hong Kong, they, I have them make like a specific uh, cut of cabochon. It looks like, you know what a trillion cut is, right? It's like the little triangle. Right. I even have them make an a elongated one that looks kind of like a shield almost, hmm. but it's, Pretty close in shape to the way a tooth looks, so I used to just cut these bricks into thin slices and then cut out each piece that I needed to make a tooth inlay. But now with those, I have them. I have two different sizes that I've like after making enough. I've been like these sizes are round about what I need for just about everybody, and so you round I round those out.
0: Huh? You could round those out.
1: Yeah. So I then take those that are close enough in shape just to minimize waste material start cutting the concave and everything on the back because it has to be concave or convex or whatever so it folds over the tooth because the tooth's got a curvature to it so then i cut that to match the curvature of the tooth and then i start shaping it to try to follow the shape of the tooth and then that's a lot quicker than when i take like a slab this big and cut it into slices and just wing it from there but so i started like experimenting with lately just uh cutting the synthetic opal and carving it into different shit like i made like a ring out of solid synthetic I opal saw that on instagram yeah and like experimenting with making things using it as an entirely different medium like i'm working on some pretty interesting pendants that i'll post hopefully soon um using synthetic opal and natural stones and wow. gold and stuff just to like use it as a different material altogether that's super like instead of just treating it as like ah it's just a synthetic you're like well actually if we take this neon pink one and throw this really rad purple stone in this in with it and then do all this crazy gold work around it it's it's cooler than just a synthetic and so i'm gonna play with that a lot in the future that's crazy but i'm also gonna start like i'm gonna finally i've been saying it for years i'm gonna finally finish my website Finally, (laughs) finally shoot an actual catalog and start trying to focus more like now that things have gotten steady and I've got like a good amount of shops that I'm supplying regularly with like basic stuff to where like I can comfortably venture into making the body jewelry that I've got in my head. Right. which is way more higher end stuff like it's stuff that's like most shops would need to have on consignment or have buy as just case candy like uh, at conference last year I made a set of nipple clickers that are gonna retail around like $32,000 right and they're at a shop in Seattle at uh, Laughing Buddha go check them out um fucking they're rad they're like almost three carats of diamonds in the pair, all 14 carat gold, sapphires. They're really nice sets of stuff, but it's like, that's the kind of body jewelry I want to make because I picture the industry going a lot more of this high-end route. Wow. And like, because when you look at shops like Maria Tash and stuff, like people go in there and they buy diamond everything. Like I want to move away from using like CZs as much as I do now and move more to your only offering like fine, like As close to being, like, the Tiffany & Co. of body jewelry as possible, I guess.
0: So that's where you want to go. That's yeah. cool.
1: Well, not even, like, Tiffany & Co. Actually, I'd rather go more, like, the route of, like, Van Cleef & Arpels. Like, some of the, like, famous right. French design houses. And, like, that level of body jewelry. Which is stuff that the average person isn't going to buy. But it's and it won't be something the average shop probably would even stock in a million years. But... With some of the clients I've attained through like gold teeth and stuff like FKA Twigs, like those are the people that have the disposable income and have body piercings. Because as the world is changing, like people People have piercings and they still want jewelry. People look like like there are people that look like me that are millionaires now. Right, and it's just like the people. What would you buy if you're a millionaire and you still have piercings? Yeah, exactly. High end gold body jewelry. I'm gonna get tattooed at private studios because I'm not hanging out at a walk in shop anymore. Right, like the people like of our generation, like the freaks and weirdos are starting to make names for themselves in their own little niches and everything. And like actually have the disposable income to buy stuff. Cause it's like with like, uh, if we're doing like top and bottom eight and opal teeth, it's like, I think it charge like 4,200 for top and bottom or no top and bottom six is like 4,200. Right. And it's like, people are always like, Oh, I bet you only get like rapper clients. I'm like, no, nah, I get like weird, like dudes that like to smoke a lot of weed and blow glass. Like yeah. that's the clientele i'm getting and like these are the people that were considered losers by societal standards standards like a decade ago but now they're the ones that are like we're actually like hip badass artists and we make money now so <laughs> right and that's the clientele that i'm getting and i keep experimenting with that kind of stuff too so do you ever miss like body piercing i mean you really haven't
0: strayed away from the industry at all because like now you're just selling to piercers and yeah shit. exactly and like, it's like does it do you miss like the actual process of being a piercer or do you like being able to geek out on jewelry on your oh, own dude, time
1: sometimes sometimes i do and then like i have like group chats with a bunch of like piercing industry friends and stuff where I, and then like someday it's like man i miss doing that and then there's other days where i'm like nope no thank I you i don't
0: miss it at all
1: like sometimes i do and i like, like
0: i like talking about it i like being around it but like i don't really miss the day in day out grind of being a piercer I yeah like.
1: and it's like One, I think I—it's just nostalgic
0: to think back at it. Yeah, and
1: it's like for me, I think I miss more the shop environment. Yeah, where it's like a lot of times when I'm like traveling, doing uh, like little pop-ups to take dental impressions and stuff. It's kind of still. I mainly do. I mainly just deal with piercing shops. Like every now and then, I'll do like jewelry stores or I'll do like a clothing store and stuff like that. But for the most, most of the time, it's piercing and tattoo studios. Yeah. So it's like I still get to hang out with my industry friends. Still get to hang out with like like like-minded people and stuff. So. Like every now and then I'll get hit up and be like, oh, do you want to come through our shop and take dental impressions? I'm like, yeah. And they're like, do you want to pierce while you're out here? I'm like, only if crooked septums are like the new thing. Because right, I can yeah. nail that every time. And people are always like, oh, like, if you started piercing again, what kind of clientele would you want? And honestly, older gay men, little kids' earlobes. Best clients ever. Just That's fair. genital piercing, old, old bears getting their dick pierced. Hell yeah. They're always respectful, polite, tip really well. Little kids getting their earlobes done, sometimes a nightmare. But I like kids. Kids are fun. Like, I have a kid. Like, I can relate to them because I'm pretty much an idiot. But I look like a cartoon character most days. So kids are fun. I like piercing them. But then, yeah, definitely. I just liked because that was uh, when I still pierced a lot of my clientele was gay. Right. Because I was in West Hollywood, like, right at the beginning of Boys Town. I actually used to uh, do events at a club called MJ's in Silver Lake mm. every it was like one Tuesday a month they had this event called Body Shop and I was would be piercing on stage really in a gay club and it was oh that's cool it's like one of those things that like a lot of like I'm sure a lot of modern piercers are cringing thinking of the no but like I want that. to hear about that that sounds yeah. wild tell me about that oh this stuff I love it and there was one bar that I'll still do events with to this day even though I don't pierce when I do them there anymore but um so I would go to MJ's, Set up. they would set me up on the stage, I would definitely be piercing people, they would be signing waivers, probably, like definitely, as far as ethical piercing goes, this is terrifying. Younger generation piercers, shield your ears, because this is just bad. Like, basically piercing drunk people on stage in a gay bar, lots of nudity, and lots of sex happening everywhere. And it was awesome. <laughs> and... It was the best. Like I would come show up, pierce and leave and just hang out and everything. And And do, would you get paid per client or just get paid to be there? I got paid to be there. I got, um, paid per client. And then also the shop owner gave me a percentage of the jewelry sales. What a wild gig. And what's nuts too is like as much as people want to hate on stuff like that I'm like, "Hey, a lot of our industry kind of started out that way." No, that is. Yeah, yeah It's that's like it. straight up. Well, I was like, I felt like the like not Jim Ward, but like definitely like in no, that era yeah, like I kind I look of back stuff. back
0: that nostalgia, but then diss it. I mean, it's, yeah. I don't know, it's
1: real. Yeah, exactly. And as much as like some people that like I didn't like post about it much online, but like every now and then I'd have like piercing friends hit me up. And be like, well, it's a subculture. Yeah, Keep and, it like
0: that. Like it's and, cool because. Yeah. Like, and they're like, yo, are it.
1: you really like doing that in this in these bar? In this bar? You don't I'm have
0: like, to. don't go to the bar. Don't get pierced by me.
1: Yeah. I'm like, cool, man. Yeah, I am like, whatever. whatever. I mean, adults. they're, they're signing waivers. <laughs> fucking they're getting a metal and industrial strength jewelry slammed into their nipples while fucking Rihanna is playing. And it's awesome. Right. And like, I've, the great, one of the greatest moments ever is they had a one rule in that bar, which was always weird. It was, you couldn't show butthole there. <laughs> oh! Of all fucking things. You could not show your asshole. And it's a good rule. So this guy was getting his geesh pierced. So how do you not show butthole at that? I didn't. I was, like, completely not even thinking about the rule. So I've got this dude... Um, you
0: broke the rule. Cover yeah.
1: your Get out of here. So I was trying to figure out on like a small skinny massage table how to orient this dude. So pretty much he was like laying on his back. Right. Legs spread really wide. Fuck holding yeah. his balls up and like had his ass like tilted up a little bit like this. And so I could like have like directional like way to work with like a really shitty light. Nothing like that, but really bad lighting. And all of a sudden I hear the promoter scream, no
0: butthole yeah and
1: this dude comes flying across the goddamn bar but is the
0: butthole even facing them or is it it's facing, facing the crowd,
1: crowd. really and it's like butthole full open view and he fucking hauls ass covers the dude's butthole with his thumb and i proceed to pierce the geesh
0: why was so strict in the butthole room? i have no idea
1: because that club also did what they would call a rolling blackout where they would cover all the windows and turn all the lights off for one song and if you want to get your ass grabbed, that is the time. Because it was always like running backwards through a cornfield in there. And it was Whoa. awesome. I loved that bar. And, but yeah, the, no butthole was the rule. And I'm like, I've straight up seen people blowing each other in here. So, okay. Wild strange times, rule. Huh? But it was just like ungloved fucking finger covering a butthole while I'm piercing a guiche. And, oh man. Yeah, that bar's not there anymore. It was a fun time but there's another bar that I still to this day if they hit me up to do anything I will always make time for them just because like historical standards at least like um it's a bar in Silver like also called The Eagle mm-hmm. they were originally called The Gauntlet Gauntlet sued them for the name really? yeah because Gauntlet the Gauntlet yeah. Piercing Shop existed first and okay. had way more expansion than them and apparently before it was even a bar a leather bar called The Gauntlet I think it had another name I can't remember But it was like, it's been around since like the 60s, since it was illegal to have like a leather bar. Right. And they um, would have me come once a year for like their anniversary event. And um, I would, I'd like either suspend somebody or like just do live like strike branding and stuff. And like the most leathery of leather daddy bars. Sounds ever. like
0: such cool, wacky, oh, weird dude, experiences. I
1: loved it there too because like I'll even go to the Eagle just to have a beer. I like that bar. Yeah, and it's like I'll just be sitting there like drinking a p- like out of a pint glass bartender who's like. I can't this dude has been in the scene in like Silver Lake gay bars forever. He's definitely like late fifties, but still looks like a Greek statue. And he's just in <laughs> a jock strap, fucking shaking his ass. And I'm just like, not showing. Yeah. He's not showing. bottle. I'm going like to drinking a pint glass. Somebody will sit next to me. Like you hear by yourself. I'm like, I'm straight. And I'm just working the event. And he's like, all right, cool. Pulls off, and then I will proceed to brand someone on stage. Wow. And usually there's this guy uh, who got me into that scene. His name's Jason, and he would uh, put—he used to put on the events at MJ's. He was the no-butthole guy. And he also... <laughs> got that thumb would, We'd been doing a, like, strike-branding bodysuit on him for, like, years now. Whoa. And usually when they have me come to the Eagle to do their anniversary event, I'll always brand him and just add another panel onto his bodysuit. Like, we branded a collar all the way around his neck. Like, real gnarly stuff, but it's, like, the last time I did an event there, ended up, like, I'm straddling him on top of a pool table wearing, like, full, like, hazmat mask and strike branding his, no, this was, this time, yeah, the, no, the, the last time I was actually doing his arms, but the time before that, I'm, like, straddling him shirtless, branding a <laughs> collar around his throat. Oh and like God. all these people are taking pictures but the last time i did the event we did lines going all the way down to his elbow whoa I don't like foot oh God. There. yeah we did lines going all the way down to his elbow and then wrapping around his bicep wild and it is intense every time and like that last time when i was doing the arms somebody afterwards was like i work at the hospital and i'm just like wondering about like how like the sanitation level of this. I'm like, you know, honestly, like you get it
0: hot and you touch the skin and cross your fingers. Yeah.
1: I like, I looked at, it, I was like, you know, these aren't the most ideal of circumstances. He's prepped with proper, like cleaning materials and everything. Everything that we've used on him is sterile and single use. Do it, we're doing the best we can. Like, you're in a leather bar for a fetish party. Like, what? I don't know yeah, what you want from me, sir. Yeah. And he's like, he's just like wandering around shirtless and bleeding now. I'm like, it's his wound to deal with this. Yeah, what I can say, I do? So, uh, no, see, definitely not the most ideal situations, but I'm going to go uh, have a beer now. <laughs> right. <laughs> oh, That's man. Wild. Those events were always fun. Yeah. And I always liked that one just because all the history with that bar. And like when I go in the back office to get paid after doing an event and they've got all this like old like gauntlet like the original like the, when that bar was called the gauntlet. Right. And there's a lot of old piercing memorabilia in there That's cool. and like pictures of Sailor Sid and shit and pictures yeah. of Jackie Yount. Like that bar was really cool. So what are you so what are you doing now? Right now you're busy with the
0: teeth stuff, traveling stuff, and then doing septum stuff, doing fine jewelry stuff, doing basic
1: stuff. Yep. You're making lots of stuff. All the time,
0: <laughs> fucking crazy. Like
1: for the longest time, I worked completely by myself, and, and now you've
0: expanded like your whole pad is just a giant. Little, yep, like, every room is doing something with jewelry. Yeah,
1: pretty much. Like now, You're my it. yeah, my best friend uh, moved down from Seattle to live with me uh, because he's wanted to move to LA and he also wanted to learn and be able to help me make right. jewelry because, like, at the time, he everyone could tell that I was really swamped because I was working for completely sure. by myself, traveling doing all this stuff and just trying to maintain sanity as much as possible. Right. And like his first week statement, he's like, how are you doing this by yourself for yeah, so no, many totally, years? Yeah. And I'm like, I, I cried a lot. And so he ended up moving in, started learning under me. And then I ended up picking up another apprentice as well. And so it's like, we've got like the little like chain of people, like the other apprentice, Ronnie, he mm. mainly does like clean up on cast, like freshly cast metal and stuff. And Jacob, my other apprentice and roommate, he is pretty proficient so far. Like, he can do some stone setting, a lot of torch work and stuff. So he does a lot more stuff. And then, like, me and Jacob will tag team larger orders. And then a lot of the times he'll do the stuff that he can handle. And then, like, the more advanced stuff is saved for me.
0: So if you're watching this, something super odd happened in this last little clip. And only in the last clip. The podcast was filmed exclusively on the GoPro. Because it won't go out of focus, and I don't have to worry about it. It just records. Audio is good. Sing it together. Podcast works. But on this last clip, for some reason, it like split the, it split it, and it froze my me the half. And then Mike was there. So I'm just like frozen as he's talking.
1: Yeah, at this point, my entire house is a factory. There's like a workbench a little longer than this in between the kitchen and living room. And that's for stone carving, wax up, and making dental plasters and stuff like that. And then there's right when you come into the living room, there's a table here that's got laptop bunch of pull bins with like just back stock in and then a big giant table with a magnifying light that we use for packaging and sorting and just kind of a catch-all like if we don't know what something needs to be it goes ends up on that table till we figure it out and then from there there's my workbench then there's jacob's workbench then there's ronnie's workbench and then there's a uh, vacuum polishing unit as well so it's like so what happens so
0: you went from like Hunched over like at the little roll top desk, sitting on a little suitcase, to a whole house taken over. Like, what's next with it? What's the next expansion? Um, Are you I'm, too busy to figure that part out?
1: Sometimes I feel like it, yes, because like right now, like I have got like a new, co- I have a collaborative collection that I have to put out. I can't really talk about like who it's with and everything, but it's like one of those things. Like, I'm just doing the design stuff. My name's gonna be on it, and I just get royalty checks. Cool. So I'm like really stoked on that. I just have to actually finish it. Right. And then on top of that, like. Uh, I made a connection with a, somebody that might actually I might actually do a grill pop-up in uh, Barney's on Madison Avenue in New York wow and hopefully that would the talks have been possibly that leading into maybe doing one at Bergdorf Goodman like right and th- that would be the most ridiculous because you've been in some
0: teeth for some big name people lately mm-hmm. right some stuff's been getting
1: yeah, been, uh, probably the biggest pe- person I've made gold teeth for has been like Alicia Keys and Swizz Beats FKA Twigs was really big too uh, Leon Bridges and each one just like like goes into yeah, the next one yeah. yeah, and then like I'm making some bracelets for Kendrick Lamar right now so so rad. all sorts of just like random stuff and like these guys people just find me through Instagram or like, I was gonna word
0: say so you don't have that website going so how yeah. can people find you and order your stuff just yeah the Instagram? website
1: is just like a contact page form because like I'm still working on building the actual web store like the plan this year is after January to like finish completely one page of the website Each week, and then like hopefully fully launch it by the end of February, okay, and have like a full on web store. But like for now, people can just say
0: it's going to happen in February, and I'll have this out in February. And so when this is done, it puts a okay, it's going to be done in February, yeah,
1: it'll be done in February. Oh god, I'm gonna die. (laughs) But um, that's the pressure you need, though. That's the pressure
0: got you to where you are right now, true. This is one more.
1: Point yep. of pressure, And it's just like, I want to get that finally launched because now people will either DM me on Instagram. I'll just give them I'm like, here, shoot me an email and we'll talk about it on there. But the webpage, like when people go there, they just fill out the contact form and they're like, how do I order something? And I'm like, well, we're emailing. So let's do this. Just email them back yeah. and forth and just go back and forth with the email. Okay, cool. All right. Well, I feel like we're going to talk about Teeth forever.
0: I'm no. going to put your website that's out live right now underneath. And then your Instagram, <laughs> and then Facebook. I have Facebook, but it's all
1: like I have like a. You're Facebook. still on MySpace. That's what it is. Oh yeah, definitely. I <laughs> uh, Facebook. I just have like my personal page, but I do have a business page on Facebook. And it's just other couture as well. Okay, cool.
0: All right, you can find everything from Mike down below. His mm, websites summer. down there. Buy a grill, get some fancy jewelry, get freaky. Shoot him an email.
1: Yeah. I love when I get to make gold cock rings. Gold cock rings there's a jewelers forum that I'm on on Facebook that's like for the jewelry industry and anytime like weird stuff like gold cock rings or gold sex toys comes up, that's I always in the one everyone tags me in in there. It's like a 10,000 member forum. Could you use... And I just like made a joke the other day uh, and because someone was like, man, you always get tagged in these posts. I'm like, well, I'm the resident cockologist of the forum. So it's like...
0: <laughs> Could you use the same stuff you're casting teeth with to cast like some yes. kind of gold... Gold member?
1: Yep. Yep. Totally could. Could, That's a dream. Yeah, could take, actually could take an impression of a dick, then pour a plaster of it, then do a wax up over that, and then make like a gold condom.
0: Whoa. Yeah.
1: Like if you had like an opalong or an Apodravia, could make like gold like from the head down like midway of the shaft and just have solid gold and that's held on with the piercings.
0: That hasn't happened yet though. That
1: has not. Probably for good reason, but...
0: <laughs> Maybe one of them baller with gold teeth they're blowing glass. Want, right? Want
1: some gold to blow on a dong or two. Right? I'm surprised. I haven't done any gold, like, cock rings in forever, but... All right.
0: I bid you guys a farewell.
1: Nice chatting with y'all.
0: Thank you for sitting down with me. Thank you for having me. Thank you for eating pizza with me. Thank you for pizza.